Welcome into the newest edition of the Checkerboard Chat. We're going to have plenty of Tennessee sports coverage for you in this one, talking about a one-on-one week for the Tennessee men's basketball team, a disappointing 0-2 week for the Lady Vols, and then we'll end with a little bit of a short preview of the Tennessee baseball team as they get their season uh, started this weekend at Georgia Southern. But here in this first segment, I'll be joined, as always, by Jeffrey Russell, our Daily Beacon basketball beat writer, and uh, Jeffrey, a, a one-on-one week for Tennessee. They opened pretty strong with a – got out to a 20-point lead over Georgia before kind of reeling down the stretch and winning 89-81. And then a 78-65 loss Saturday at LSU. What were your takeaways from a one-on-one week? I think this, the takeaways I took away from this week are what you take away from every week uh, at this point with the Vols. You had strong guard play and then – uh, inconsistent post play from your guys that you consider, you know, your veterans and your leaders on this team. Obviously, Eve Pons is probably playing a little injured, and that that definitely hurts his athletic ability and his explosiveness in his game. But at some point, this is a problem that's got to be fixed for Tennessee. They've got to find somebody who can produce in the paint. Uh, I don't know if they will, but that's kind of what it's coming down to. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I was, you know, my thing is – my biggest takeaway was it's we talked about it last week. We thought it may happen, but there was definitely a clear pivot of wanting to run the offense through the freshman. Jaden Springer scores 30 points against Georgia, and then I believe, yeah, 20, 21 against LSU took 25 shots on the week. Keon Johnson scored 11 against Georgia and 11 against LSU, taking also 25 shots on the week. So, I mean, you saw a clear pivot. Those guys were getting the bulk of the shots. I think Fulkerson took just about six shots on a week. Pons obviously didn't play on Tuesday against, or excuse me, Wednesday against Georgia, but only took five shots in the loss at LSU. So there's certainly a clear pivot to the freshman guards. That's who they want to play through. But like Rick Barnes said after the game, and like he said a little bit today, they still have to get production from those other guys. And I think that's, that's the big question. How do you get production from those other guys? What does that look like? And then another thing, you know, you're talking about who can they get, what big guys can they rely on? To me, and this has been kind of the case all year, but it was a little surprising to me that you continue to see it this week. They don't really have any consistency in who they play off the bench in the depth. Some game, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago, we thought it looked like Olivier Campbell might be making a turn. This week, I thought he played significantly better than EJ Anasicki did, and he played about eight less minutes than him. So there really hasn't been any consistency there. And I know Coach Barnes, like all coaches, they're not going to – they're going to give guys the playing time they earn in practice – but I do think it's difficult for Tennessee to build a little bit of bench depth when you're just not – they don't have a consist, consistent guy. And it's, it's hard just to say roll with Cam Waugh and not Anasicki or roll with Anasicki and not Cam Waugh because those players are pretty similar in their skill level, but it does seem like it might be more beneficial for the team if they rode with one of those guys and were able to try to get the production from them. Yeah, I don't know if you can say roll with the hot hand, but specifically against LSU when Camwa came in, he pretty much locked up Trendon Watford. I mean, he was able to match up with him size-wise, keep moving his feet, and Watford really kind of got shut down when Camwa was on him. And then it just kind of seemed like they never went back to it. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what – the, the plan is there. I get coaches have their depth chart and their plans of how they want to rotate. But I agree at some point, I think you got to make a decision. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, that's, he only played seven minutes on Saturday. And that's Barnes said today that he thought that was the most locked in he'd been to a defensive game plan since he'd been here. So I'm almost a little surprised you didn't see more with him, especially with 
Hank Anasigi played three or four minutes, and he got in there and immediately missed a wide-open layup. So I was almost surprised you didn't see him take all those minutes. But talking about Rick Barnes' press conference, we just got done with that a little while ago. What were some things that he said today that stood out to you? I mean, he still keeps pushing the 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 hope hopefulness at this point, I guess, that they'll be able to get Pons and Fulkerson going. He still believes that, you know, you saw some good things from Fulkerson when he initially came off the bench against LSU. You saw the real hustle and grittiness that you needed from him, but then it just kind of started to fall off like it did against in other games. So I think the hope at this point for them is that you get Pons healthy and then hopefully Fulkerson just flourishes at some point, whatever that may look like. Um, I think Barnes has been really impressed with the play of Springer. I know you kind of expected it to come at this point. They're both – him and Keon are both really talented guys. But specifically against Georgia, I mean, Springer had one of the most efficient games in SEC history, the way he shot the ball. So I think whether Barnes wanted to or not, he's kind of leaned into the fact of we're going to start playing through our guards more. Yes, you need post-production, but the way these guys are producing, you can't deny it anymore. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you're just talking about the Springer line. I'll read it out for everybody. 30 points on 9 of 11 shooting, 3 of 4 from three-point range, 9 of 12 from the free throw line. I think he was like one of the five – I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but I think he was one of the five players in SEC history that scored 30 points on 12 or less shots. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, certainly very impressive. And that's something that Barnes talked about today that I think is going to be interesting to look at going forward. He talked about the balancing act for Springer and Johnson of being aggressive – forcing the issue, but not forcing the issue too much, not taking bad shots, but not being passive. And that's where I think is going to be really tough for Tennessee is right now they have three games scheduled left on the SC or in the regular season. Now they have three that got canceled. You think they get at least a couple of those played. But the fact that they're pivoting so late in the season to Johnson and Springer, those guys are going to have to figure out quickly what they can and what they can't do when defenses are focusing on them. And I think you saw that. Saturday and Springer obviously played a good game, 21 points on six of 14 shooting. Johnson wasn't quite as effective, but and you look at you look at their numbers: 21 points. You got nine points from Josiah James. I'm going to tag him in here as he's kind of had a bigger role the past few games too. And you got 11 points from Keon Johnson. On paper, those are all pretty solid performances. But when you look at it, when you look at the amount of shots they're taking, those guys took 37 shots in total, and they didn't match up with what LSU's guards were able to, to do. And Javante Smart, who scored 20 points, and Cameron Thomas, who scored 25 points. So it's, it's a lot more responsibility on them. And all of a sudden, games earlier in the season where good game by Keon Johnson, good game by Jaden Springer, it's, it's not going to cut it as much here down the stretch, especially when they're playing top-level teams. Yeah, absolutely. And Rick kind of referenced it in the in the press conference, talking about some defensive breakdowns from the younger guys. And he said, obviously, that's, you know, it's it's just a product of them being out there so much. It's not really something that is really their fault at all. But I mean, when you're going against a top top level scorer like Cam Thomas and Javante Smart, I mean, that's just what's going to happen sometimes. I think we saw Saturday that Tennessee's only allowed three players to score 20 or more points and uh, Javante Smart and uh, Cam Thomas both scored 20 in one game. So I think it was just one of those games that, you know, what could go wrong did go wrong at some points. Yeah, and this, this is a question I'll pose on you. I didn't have in our rundown, but Victor Bailey is a guy that Barnes talked about today too. They got to get him going. They believe in him. You know, all the stuff that you got you say when the player's struggling and you need him to get going. But this week he scored seven points against Georgia, didn't score against LSU, two of 13 shooting. 
he's really struggled the last few weeks. And we know what he brings to the table is, is the ability to be a good shooter, be a good offensive player. Being good on defense is not exactly his, his strength, I guess. But to get to kind of a roundabout way to get to the question, at what point do you think Tennessee maybe pivots and gives him less playing time or looks at a guy like Devontae Gaines? Because Devontae Gaines is really the complete opposite player of Victor Bailey. Good guy on defense. He's not going to come in and do a lot on offense. And I get they need Victor Bailey to play good. And if I was Rick Barnes, I'd be saying the same things, you know, stay positive with him, get him going. But do you think at some point there you could see a pivot to Gaines starting to get some of those minutes just because like what you were saying, Keon and Jane are doing a lot more in offense. It's harder for them to be locked in, you know, 40 minutes a game on defense. And Devontae Gaines is a guy that comes in and immediately makes an impact on defense seemingly every game. Yeah, I think what you're seeing now, especially like you were saying with Keon and Jaden and then Santiago, it's kind of taken some pressure off of his shoulder where he can just kind of get open and the Keon and Jaden will find him when they're cutting to the basket and you'll see some pretty wide open three point shots. I think at this point you do have to pivot to Devontae a little bit because, man, when he comes in, he's locked in. He, he makes plays. He's taking charges. He'll grab rebounds. You know, obviously I don't think you give up on Victor Bailey, but I, I think Devontae has earned some playing time. And so whether, you know, seven to ten minutes, maybe 12 minutes, I think you've got to give him a chance because, you know, he's one of the hardest workers when he's out there on the court. Yeah, certainly. He just – I mean, he just played three minutes this week, and he made enough of an impact for me to bring him up talking about him and had two two steals, rebound. And, that, I mean, that's just that's what he brings to the table. And he's certainly – he's kind of like Kamwa and Anasiki that he kind of – it's a lot easier to guard Tennessee when he's in the game. But mm-hmm. he's so effective on the defensive end. And when you're not getting the good play or the solid play from Victor Bailey, I certainly think it's it's something to watch going forward if Barnes – potentially would pivot there and he certainly has Gaines has the versatility too he can play the four against small teams which yeah I think could be a potential role for him but we talked about it a minute a little bit ago you touched on it Barnes has been talking about it seemingly every week but what is the way what does Tennessee do to get Hans Fulkerson going and what exactly does consistency look like from those guys when they're not the main role in the offense I think for Pons at this point, it's just about getting healthy. I think you saw before he got injured and kind of messed up his knees and ankles a little bit, he had started to kind of find a stretch where he was scoring, you know, 10 to 14 points a game somewhere in there, getting five to six rebounds and making two or three big blocks. So I think for him, if he can just get healthy, I think he'll start to find that consistency again. And for him, I think consistency looks like about 10 points a game, and five rebounds and some big defensive plays wherever he can get them. Because, I mean, when he's locked in defensively, he's obviously one of the best defenders in the nation. So I think for him, consistency isn't that hard to find. But for Fulkerson, at this point, it just seems all mental. I mean, He's got the speed, physicality. Maybe he's dealing with some, you know, bumps and bruises at some point. But, you know, nothing's really changed from last year to this year as the type of player he's been uh, physically or anything like that. So, I mean, I think it's all mental at this point. Rick's talked about that, you know, when he gets the ball in his hands, he likes to, you know, kind of stutter with it and look around and then before making a move. But last year when he got the ball, he just took it and went. So I think at this point it's just a matter of, mind over matter he's got to go do it in his mind and make it work I mean you know when he's good and he's on you know eight to ten points five rebounds when he's not 
you know, he scored like two points the other day, but had seven rebounds and five assists and two steals. So if he has to affect the game that way, I guess Tennessee will take it. But you'd like to have him score a little, a little more points if you can. Yeah, I think you on both those you really, really nailed it. With Fulkerson, it does seem all mental, and that's something that you've seen in his career. Last year, the whole first half of the season, Barnes was talking about this guy can be a star for us. We we need him to get the mindset that he's our go-to. He can be a go-to guy for us. And I think that's almost a problem for Fulkerson and the fact that you saw him. He started this year. He was going to be the go-to guy. He struggled, and now his role has gone back to being kind of a secondary option. How do you keep him confident enough to be making plays offensively? How do you get him to that point? And I, that's, that's the question I don't know because Tennessee – it's, they're not going to throw a whole ball down to him a whole lot in the post at this point. That's just the way things have, have moved. And Tennessee doesn't run a whole lot of pick and roll in their offense. So what are the ways to get a big man who doesn't come out to the three-point line, doesn't beat you out there? Because the Pons, Pons can do that. You can run – Pons can be effective through Tennessee's offense without them posting him up just because that's the game. Mm-hmm. Fulkerson doesn't really have that. So I don't know. And that's the question I'm sure Rick, Rick Barnes is thinking about a lot of nights. And he knows a lot more basketball than both of us. So that's that's the big question for Fulkerson is how do you get him involved? And like you said, that Georgia game the other night, four points doesn't blow you away. But did it on two or three shooting, eight rebounds, four assists, no mm-hmm. turnover, or two turnovers. Sorry, I misread that. So he's doing the other things well. Can you get him engaged that way 100% of the time? I think that's a big question. I think that would go a long way to helping Tennessee and to helping him get his confidence back just in general. And on Pons, I mean, that's the big question. How serious is the injury? Seems like something that's going to be bothering him the rest of the year. I don't know if it'll require surgery on it at the end of the season or anything like that. But I'll pose the question to you. Do you think it would be worth it for Tennessee to rest Pons some down the stretch and get him back to 100, try to get him closer to 100%? I'm not sure he's going to be able to get back to 100%, but to try to get him closer by tournament time. I think it all matters how much you value the SEC tournament. If you really don't value where you're seated to start the SEC tournament and what that looks like, then yes, absolutely, you rest him. There's, I mean, you're gonna, you're a solid tournament team. You know, no matter what happens down the down the break down here, you're gonna get into the tournament. You'll be able to win games with the teams with the team you have without pawns if you rest him. So I think if you want to win the SEC tournament and you think that's a big deal, then maybe not. But if you're looking to the NCAA tournament and being healthy and ready then, then yeah, absolutely. I think you give him, give him the last three games that you have on the schedule and just let him rest. Yeah, I think you look at some of the games that they aren't games you necessarily have to have them. You're not going to die without them. And I think that's that's a that's a good question because Tennessee seems like they're probably in the NCAA tournament going to be locked into some somewhere between a three or a five seed, something in that range. But the SEC tournament, I think that's that's the big question. You make a good point. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. That those top four seeds get the double bye. Tennessee's obviously that are out of the SEC championship hunt. Alabama's going to get that one spot. But really after that, two through five is all – two through six, two through seven is all very even. You have Arkansas eight and four, LSU eight and four, Tennessee seven and five, Florida six and four, Missouri six and five, Ole Miss seven and six. So if you want to make a run in the SEC tournament, it's really hard to do without – getting that double buy and having the not having to just play three games and Tennessee's right in the thick of it. So as to where it can kind of go either way. So, you know, I don't expect Barnes to sit ponds. That doesn't really seem like his type of thing. If, and Pons yeah. is, 
you know, he's saying Tuesday or Wednesday, Pons was really trying to play. He wanted to be out there. And Pons is a guy who's trying to help his draft stock, so I'm sure he wants to be out there as much as possible. But it mm-hmm. is certainly something kind of interesting to look at. So heading into this coming week, Tennessee, two home games, one with South Carolina, one with Kentucky. How important is it to have a 2-0 and week, something Tennessee hasn't had in a while, and what does Tennessee need to do to get it done? I think it's everything to have a two and zero week. You got to get get it going here at some point. I mean, it's been all talk at this point. You know, after every loss, it's you know we're not mature enough. We we haven't you know we don't have the the capability right now. We're just not focused or locked in. I mean, at some point, it's it's got to be about the action. You got to go out there and do it. And I think. There's no better week than this to do it. You have a struggling South Carolina team that's going to come into town that, you know, they have some good players, but you should go in there and beat them if you're Tennessee. This shouldn't be a a game that's a whole lot of a problem, whether Ponds plays or not. And then Kentucky coming into town on Saturday, it's Kentucky. If you can't get up for Kentucky, I I don't really know what you expect out of the rest of this season, you know? So I think I think it's everything. And I think they they have plenty of talent to win these games. Kentucky, I know, got the win or they did get the win against Auburn this they weekend, did, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they got the win against Auburn this weekend. So maybe they're starting to turn some sort of a corner because they were able to finally put away a game in the last few minutes. So I think You've got some teams that are capable of playing you well, giving you some weird matchups, but these are two games you should win if you're a locked-in team that hopes to make a run in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, I think you're certainly right. And you go back last eight games, Tennessee's four and four. You know, the only mm-hmm. real quote bad loss in there been the Ole Miss loss, and Ole Miss is probably playing about as good as anyone in the conference. So I don't, you know, some people aren't hitting the panic button. I'm not saying you necessarily should, but. It's pretty simple. South Carolina, Tennessee, that came out just before we started. They're 12-point favorites in that game. I imagine they'll be somewhere between 6- to 10-point favorites against Kentucky. Those are games you have to win and or need should win, need to win. And it's one thing when you're not being consistent and you're getting exposed by some good teams. No offense to South Carolina Kentucky, but neither of these teams are very good. Tennessee should take care of them, and you're looking a little bit farther ahead to get Vanderbilt in the midweek the following week. Those are three games that I think would be – very, very concerning if Tennessee did not win all, all three of them. And what does it take to get it done? It's, you know, it's, it's hard to say. It just should just be consistency. South Carolina is a lot different than they've been in the past. They're usually a very physical team that wants to slow the game now, down this year. And Barnes still talked about that today, too. With all the COVID stuff, they've kind of had to change their style of play. They played a third fastest pace in the SEC, give up the second most amount of points in the SEC. So I think it almost is a good game. Tennessee because there's so much familiarity there between Tennessee and South Carolina Barnes and Martin obviously they're South Carolina is one of Tennessee's three crossover teams that they play twice every year and then you add the fact that this South Carolina team has some defensive problems which typically is not the case of a Frank Martin South Carolina team I think it gives Tennessee the chance to continue to build on what they want to do offensively because they kind of change things running through the guards and I think it'll be it'll be very interesting, very crucial to see if they can continue to show that growth again. One against South Carolina, who I think they should be able to, and then two against Kentucky, who that was kind of the game they broke out against two or a week and a half ago. You would have to expect that Calipari and Kentucky would be really honing in on those guys and have a, a clear game plan to to test them and try to stop them. So I think it gives you a good good opportunity for them to kind of build on Wednesday with and even though Kentucky's not a great team, a test of what they want to do on Saturday that should be more difficult playing the Wildcats for the second time in two weeks. 
That is going to do it for this edition, or excuse me, this segment of the Checkerboard Chat. We are not done yet. We'll have more with our assistant sports editor, Josh Lane, up next as we will talk about the Tennessee Lady Bulls basketball team. We've had an 0-2 week and a busy three-game week coming up ahead of them due to some COVID-19 reshuffling and then the Tennessee baseball team. We'll see you here in just a minute. Back here in the second segment of the Checkerboard Chat, I'm Ryan Shumpert, joined here by our assistant sports editor at the Daily Beacon, Josh Lane. We're going to get into a couple different things, the Tennessee Lady Vols basketball team, as well as previewing the Tennessee baseball season that starts this weekend. But we'll start with uh, what was a disappointing week for the Tennessee Lady Vols. They returned from their COVID pause, and they went on the road to Lexington and lost to a good Kentucky team, 71-56, to and then stayed on the road and played a tough Texas A&M team, tough, but couldn't hold on in the fourth quarter, falling to the Aggies 80-70. to Josh, what were uh, your biggest takeaways from uh, an 0-2 week? Yeah, a couple takeaways here. Um, first up, I think depth might be an issue for the Lady Vols now, or maybe the lack of depth that they have, uh, particularly on offense, because um, Renaya Davis was out in that Kentucky game out of the COVID break, you know, whether it was COVID, they always said medical reasons, so you don't want to assume anything. But for whatever reason, she was out at Kentucky game. And, you know, one of their top scores, the team leader on uh, senior, you know, veteran leadership, all that, she was out. So they really looked lost on offense. Um, they didn't score that much outside of Ray Burrell. And, you know, she got more attention. Tamari Key got a lot of attention from the defense. So a week after her triple-double, she scored, I think, single-figure points. So that was real disappointing to see her. Um, Jordan Walker, who a graduate student who filled in for um, for Renaya Davis in her starting role, she did not shoot well at all. She, I think, she had just one basketball in the game. And so, you know, what was supposed to be a strength of the team entering this year, the depth that they have, the bench with all the the talent, all the experience, it's uh, not looked good this year outside of the starters. And then the next takeaway, I think we'll probably talk about this a little more coming up, but this next week uh, that the Lady Vols have will probably be the turning point of their season. It'll probably be the biggest week for them as far as, you know, will they bounce back from this or, you know, will they continue to slide? Because it's going to be a tough week. I know we'll talk about it, but um, it's all going to come down to this week here with three tough games coming forward. Yeah, and obviously Tennessee lost by double digits in that A&M game, but they seem to play pretty well, an A&M top 10 team on the road. How much do you think the problems, at least in the Kentucky game, were due to coming off the COVID break and, you know, not having Renia Davis? See, 16 turnovers for Tennessee seems like without their top offensive player, they were uh, a little rattled and didn't really know where to turn. How much would you attribute the poor performance to coming back from COVID and then the fallout from not having Davis? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Davis not being there, I mean, I got to say, that's that was most of the issues there. They, you know, they seem to be in pretty good shape. They didn't look like they were real tired or anything, so I don't necessarily think that the the pause, per se, had any effect on it, but definitely not having Davis there because of that. Um, you know, they hadn't – they had looked like they had no offense outside of Ray Burrell. They couldn't get much going, and so, you know, having her back is big, and she did have a really nice game against A&M, but – yeah, definitely against Kentucky, not having her there, that had to be the reason why that uh, they did so poorly because I, you would think, you know, as well as they handled Kentucky earlier this year, that should have been a game that they that they could have won, but not having their dear, her there, that really hurt. Kind of alluded to that Texas A&M game being closer than the final score looks. Tennessee was down just two points going into the fourth quarter, and then A&M exploded for 29 points and kind of pulled away 
what what went wrong for Tennessee down the stretch and what do you look for them needing to specifically do better and I guess closing games going forward? Yeah, absolutely. They've had they've had a couple of issues closing out games and so far in the season, just minus a handful of games, they've been able to come back. But against AM, their mistakes, uh their mistakes caught up to them. They turned the ball over a lot. Um, they didn't play great defense in the fourth quarter, but the biggest thing was um, the foul trouble they got in, specifically in the second half. Um, the, the third quarter, I mean, they sent AM to the line way too many times. I've got here, they had uh, 34 total attempts from the from the free throw line and made 25 of them. So that's, you know, 25 points that you just gave AM, and, you know, that totally swings the whole game. So, um, I mean, that's a huge thing there. They And then another thing I got is uh, they – kind of went cold on offense in the fourth quarter. Davis and Burrell were the only two Lady Vols to score. So, you know, outside of them, as we kind of mentioned earlier, the depth, it's not looking good lately. So when you got Tamari Key, when you got Cassie Kiskitawa, Jordan Horst and other players like that getting shut out in the fourth quarter, they're not going to win many games. And, you know, and, you know as you mentioned, uh, they were competitive up to the very end there. So just kind of fixing those couple things, those small mistakes, that's kind of how they, what they need to do to turn it around. Yeah, you talked about the defense, and that's kind of what stood out for me in the A&M game. You're not going to – you mentioned the free throws. You're not going to win many games when the other team's shooting 48% from the field, 56% from the three-point line, and shooting 34 free throws. Is that just – did you see that Sunday as just being a product of a good A&M team? Obviously, Tennessee didn't play their best or didn't play their best on a defensive end. Or do you see that being a long-term maybe concern for this team? I think it's a little both because kind of all year I've been we've been saying that Tennessee is not being great on defense you know they haven't been atrocious or anything but it's not their specialty so I think you know when you have that coupled with the good and in team that plays very physical and that you know they're getting up on you so kind of forcing you to foul almost I think a combination of those things to that where it was just the perfect perfect scenario for all this to happen for Tennessee for it all to go wrong you kind of alluded to it there a little while ago in your in your intro, but a crazy week for Tennessee. Obviously, kind of has to happen at some point with the games that they missed due to COVID. But three games this week: Tuesday night at Mississippi State before coming home for for a Thursday night matchup against number one South Carolina, and then going back on the road Sunday against number twenty four Georgia. Uh, probably the most disappointing loss, at least in the fashion that it happened so far of Tennessee's season. Just talk about this week, how challenging it's going to be and what's kind of the expectation and what does Tennessee need to do to meet that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's got to be the hardest week of their schedule so far and probably all year. Um, up first is Mississippi State. They're not ranked right now. I believe eight and six or somewhere around that is their record. But, you know, they, they were ranked as high as number six earlier in the year. So you think this is kind of the game that Tennessee's got to win to get back on track. But you know, if they fool around and don't play clean basketball as they have this past week, they can easily get beat by Mississippi State. And then, you know, travel right now is a mess. I know there's this huge ice storm or whatever going on down south. And so I think they were kind of stuck in Texas yesterday. They have this one day off before getting to Mississippi State. We don't know how travel is going to be. They're probably not going to get to practice. So, you know, add in all these other factors and that's going to be tough. And then up next, South Carolina, I think the number two team in the nation right now at home, that's going to be a tough game. Um, you know, and that one, they just got to stay competitive at least a little bit. I think it's kind of similar to the to the UConn game earlier earlier this year, who was number three or four at the time. Um, you know, they held UConn 
up until like the third quarter and when, and when the, they pulled away. So I think that's kind of got to be a strategy for Tennessee. And then with Georgia, as you mentioned, a huge collapse earlier in the year, they ended up losing that one. Um, I mean, Georgia's ranked, what, 24? So I think this is that's another team that Tennessee probably has a good chance to beating. But again, as well, you know, if they fool around, they they easily could lose this one. So, like I said, tough week, tough week coming up, but it'll be really telling for the Lady Vols and where their season is going to be headed. Yeah, that was a good point on the travel. That's something that you don't really think about being an issue, especially when you're in Texas and in uh, Mississippi. But as crazy as the weather's been, it seems like Texas has gotten it just as bad as anybody over the past few days. Pivoting over to the baseball side of things, Tennessee will open – Head coach Tony Vitello's fourth season this Friday when they travel to Georgia Southern. Tennessee coming off of a shortened, uh, condensed 2020 season that saw them go 15-2 and two before SEC play was supposed to start the weekend the season got canceled. Tennessee coming off the 2019 season was their first return to the NCAA tournament since 2005 as Tony Vitello seems to have this program on an upward trajectory. Josh, what is the expectation for this team entering the season? Yeah, I think you mentioned it. This team has been on the upper twin, upper twin trend the last couple of years. Um, obviously, they had a really nice season last year before the shutdown. So I think this year the expectations are kind of high. You know, they've been ranked top 25 team in, all the, in a bunch of these preseason rankings. They've got preseason players making All-American, All-SEC. Um, you know, so I think the expect, expectations are high. If they play well, I think they can uh, challenge, challenge um, the teams in the SEC East. What's something about this team that should excite fans? Yeah, I got I got two players here. Uh, we'll start out kind of obviously uh, Max Ferguson, um, you know, the All-American player, All-SEC player, just a stud of an, of an infielder. He hits for high average. He's got good speed. You know, he gets on base. Um, you know, he just kind of does it all, kind of the leader of this team. Um, on the pitching side, uh, I got Jackson Leith, who I believe it was his first year last year and really broke out as a pitcher, um, mainly used as a reliever, but he led the team with uh, 29 strikeouts. You know, he had a low whip. He wasn't walking people, wasn't giving up hits. And so just got a good fastball, got good picks, uh, pitch selection. So, you know, I think he's definitely going to be an exciting player to watch. Um, I think their intention might be to have him start some more games this year or stretch him out. So we'll see exactly how that turn works itself out. But those two guys, I think, are definitely exciting every time they step up. Yeah, that two players that have really been in good in their short short Tennessee uh, tenures. Leaf's going to be an interesting one to watch as his role will probably expand a good a bit this year. And obviously he, just being here one year, has not played the SEC schedule. One thing I, I'd add on there is Tennessee returns just about everybody on offense besides Alex Solari and Zach Daniels, who were two major pieces, but – only lose two guys in a lineup that led the nation in runs a year ago and finished second in the nation with 31 homers. Obviously, they were a little bit of a beneficiary of a weak non-conference schedule at a, at a lot of points, but it's an exciting offense. It's an offense that's really, you know, two years ago when Tennessee returned to the NCAA tournament, there wasn't a lot of power in it. It was kind of, let's piece things together offensively and, and let's pitch really well and play really good defense and we'll win games. I think you were starting to see a change with that team last year. That wasn't going to be their identity as much. And I think that will even more be the case this year as some of those younger guys who were big contributors and Vitello's first few years are now veterans. They've been in the strength and conditioning program for multiple years or stronger. They're going to be able to hit for power more. 
we talked about what's you know should be exciting for this team. What's what's something that's kind of question mark for this squad entering the season? Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of hinted at it earlier with all the players that are returning. There's not, at least in my eyes, not a whole lot of questions. Um, you know, an outfield Solari and Daniels. So there's two spots they're going to have to replace. They've got plenty of depth there, so I don't imagine that's a huge issue. But you know, that might be a question. And then I guess pitching is probably the bigger one now. Is you know, how exactly is the rotation going to fill out, all, you know, all the bullpen starters? Who's going to be doing what? Um, you mentioned Jackson Lee, who's kind of uh, – who hadn't played any SEC games last year. So, you know, is he going to be just as good this year or is it just, you know, benefiting from the week schedule? So, I guess probably pitching is the biggest question. But even then, I think Tennessee might be sitting pretty good right now. Yeah, it's it's like you said. It's, it's a question. I definitely wouldn't say it's a weakness because – Tennessee's pitching depth is is really, really strong. They have a lot of guys that have pitched a lot of innings and, and done well even against, you know, SEC teams. And the question mark is, do they have top-end SEC starters? Obviously, Garrett Crochet last year was – he was going to be at our equalizer with Florida and Vanderbilt and sure. those ranked in the top five, having a guy that could pitch as high, at such a high level like he could. Obviously, he was the fastest player from the 2020 MLB draft into the major leagues. So who replaces him? Tennessee doesn't return a single player that's made an SEC start. They have some guys who made starts last year, started weekend games last year, Chad Dallas, Jackson Leaf. But there's questions there of who's going to fill that spot and just how good can they be? Can they? Because I think we, we know all those guys are solid. They're good pitchers. But mm -hmm. it's the SEC. It's the best conference in America. And you're, Vanderbilt's got two guys that are going to go in the top five in the MLB draft. Florida's got a bunch of really good guys. Do you have guys that are, are elite that can give you a puncher's chance with the best team in the league? And that's just something that we don't know at this point. Going forward, what are some, you know, potential breakout players or guys that have played some or maybe are newcomers but haven't had a massive role so far in any teams the past few years that you think could have big seasons for Tennessee? Sure, sure. Um, first guy that stood out to me, Jarrell Ortega. Uh, I believe he's a sophomore. It would have been his first year last year, but he had an injury, didn't play. But, you know, he's a pretty good prospect coming in. Infielder, primarily shortstop. He's got good defense, you know, plays well, all that. Um, but the coaches have all seemed pretty high on him as far as his consistency, his work ethic, you know, his ability when healthy. So I think, you know, he's got a chance for a compete for a starting role this year. Um, if, you know, that might be a guy that can really break out and really help his team. Another guy, uh, Kyle Booker, who I believe is a newcomer, uh, an outfielder this year. Uh, he was a really, really top prospect, one of the Tennessee's top, I believe. Um, you know, he's quick in the outfield. And so, you know, like we said, they're outfield, you know, outfield got some openings. Maybe he'll get some playing time there. You know, he might be a guy to watch this year as well. Yeah, there's two good names, and I'll throw two in there as well. This one's cheating a little bit because we got to watch him play last year, and he was impressive. But Drew Gilbert's <laughs> a guy who I think is going to probably be one of the better players on the, on this team. He's about the most versatile, he is the most versatile player on the team because he pitches and he plays in the field. I think he's a guy that will have a good chance to replace Zach Daniels in center field. He hit 350 last year, a home run, eight RBIs, and 40 at bats. And then also a pretty solid bullpen pitcher for him a year ago. I think he pitched about seven or eight innings, including four innings in that Stanford game in the Round Rock Classic in the bullpen. He pitched really well in that game. So I think he's a guy that you're going to see have, I think you would have seen him have a big role last year as a season went on but I think we see he have an even bigger role this season and then another I'll throw a newcomer in there as well Blade Tidwell is a guy that has a lot of buzz he was a big recruit from 
Orato, Tennessee, is a right-handed pitcher. I think he's going to have a really, really big role in this team, especially considering, like we were saying, Tennessee returns almost every pitcher. It's just kind of the question of how does everyone fit? But I think Tidwell's going to make himself a factor and might even be able to push for a, be a potential weekend starter by the end of the season, throws mid to upper 90s. I think he's a guy that in a normal season with the normal full MLB draft might have gone straight to the pros. But Tennessee is going to be lucky enough to have him for three seasons. Like we were saying, Tennessee opening things up this weekend at Georgia Southern, a little bit different. Tennessee going on the road to play a smaller school, but a Georgia Southern program that is a pretty strong one. Josh, what do you know about Georgia Southern? What should be what should we be on the lookout for? Yeah, well, just a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned strong program, kind of in a similar boat to Tennessee last year is what, you know, they were off to a pretty good record. They were playing well before the shutdown. Um, and so they've kind of carried that momentum, so to speak, into this year. Um, then the Sunbelt East uh, projections are ranked projected third. So, you know, one of the better teams in the conference there. I got a player here, uh, Jordan Jackson, who's a right-handed pitcher um, for them. He's projected all-conference pick, um, probably their top pitcher, their top player. So I'm sure Tennessee will see him this weekend when they go down there. But, you know, like you said, pretty good team. So it, it should be good, but I still think Tennessee will probably be the favorites in this one. But it'll be exciting, exciting weekend to kick off Tennessee baseball. Yeah, definitely. It should be an exciting season, interesting to watch as Tennessee, like you said, picked third in the SEC East, their highest preseason prediction since 2005. Tennessee hosted a regional, went to the College World Series that year. Obviously, that would be big accomplishments for this Tennessee team, but it all starts Friday at 6.30 when they play Georgia Southern. We will have two previews for you this week on the website and great coverage from Tennessee's opening weekend at Georgia Southern as well as all other Tennessee sports information this week as we start to get into the full swing of things with the Lady Vols and Tennessee basketball teams hitting the home stretch and then volleyball and soccer season starting their spring seasons to go along with baseball and softball. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Checkerboard Chat. Have a good rest of your week.